more happy but not more secure are the glorified saints in heaven. And they are more happy, but they're not more secure. Would you turn back to Hebrews chapter 12? I've entitled this message, Looking Unto Jesus. Now, just that title uh, says to each one of us that there is no more important subject that we could possibly consider. Looking unto Jesus. Have I ever done this? Have I ever looked unto Jesus? Have you ever looked? Verse 1, wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. We spent the last six months in Hebrews chapter 11 considering this great cloud of witnesses. Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob. Joseph, Moses, Rahab, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets. What a cloud of witnesses. They testify to us of the glory and the sufficiency of the Lord Jesus Christ. What a witness they bear. Now, seeing that we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. Now, there is a race set before us. Let us lay aside every weight and that sin which does so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Now, there's a race for you. There's a race for me. It's the same race. And what I think is glorious about this race, it's utterly unique. We start at the finish line. Isn't that glorious? We begin this race at the finish line. Already won. But this race is still set before us. And he says, let us lay aside every weight. When you're running a race, you don't want to wear things that weigh you down. Anything that hinders us in our running this race, whether a person or a thing, lay it aside. What do you say? Lay aside every weight that would hinder us in this glorious race that is set before us, where we already have victory. We begin at the finish line. It is finished. That's where we start. And, you know, that's where we're going to end as well. We begin here. We end here. So lay aside every 
weight that would weigh you down. And then he speaks of laying aside the sin which does so easily beset us. Besetting sin. Does that mean a sin we're most uh, tempted by or have the hardest time with, most susceptible to? Is that what he's talking about? We have them. There are some people that have more trouble with some sin than other people where it really probably doesn't bother them that much. There is a besetting sin to you. There's no question about that. To me, every one of us have sins which we've committed repeatedly over and over and over again to our own shame, a besetting sin. But is that what he's talking about here? I don't think so. He's talking about unbelief. That is the besetting sin. That is the one that hits us wherever we go. Now, unbelief is the twin sister of self-righteousness. Wherever there's self-righteousness, there's unbelief. You see, faith is trusting Christ's righteousness. When you have your own righteousness, you don't trust his righteousness. And this sin of self-righteousness and its twin sister, unbelief, hits us from every angle all the time. By faith, Abel. By faith, Enoch. By faith, Noah. Self-righteousness, unbelief. This is what we're to combat that we see from this great cloud of witness. We're, we're to combat every sin. I realize that. But self-righteousness is what keeps me and you from trusting Jesus Christ alone. The greatest enemy that you and I have is our own filthy self-righteousness. Such a contradiction in terms, but yet it's true, it's real. That's what begets unbelief, your own righteousness. So he says, seeing we're compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight that would hinder us in this race that's set before us. And the sin, he doesn't say a sin or some sin, he says the sin, that's the definite article. With everybody, it's the same. The sin of unbelief. That is the sin that does so easily beset us, that controls us, that hits us when we think we've got it down. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. If I watch a ball game, uh, I twist up like a pretzel. I'm so just, just, but when I watch the game and I already know the outcome, I'm patient. It's all going to be good. It's all right. I don't have to worry. Well, we run this race with the patience of knowing we've already won. That's the only way to run this race, with patience, knowing we've already won, that the Lord Jesus Christ has won the victory 
for us. Now, how does he say to do this? Looking unto Jesus. Oh, would to God that that's what me and you will do even right now. Looking unto Jesus. Now, this is the only time this particular word, looking, is found in the New Testament. This particular word, looking. It's only found in the Bible one time. And it means to turn the eyes away from everything so as to fix your gaze upon one thing. If I say, look at me, nobody says, what do you mean by that? You know. You know, if you were a fly in my house at least once a week, if you were a fly on the wall, uh, something that you would see at least once a week is when Lynn says, look at me, look at me. And that's when she wants me to listen to what she's saying. She knows that I have a tendency to, you know, it just goes over my head and, she never told me that, but when she's afraid of that, she goes, look at me, look at me. She wants to establish eye contact. Look. When the people of Israel in the book of Numbers were bitten by those fiery serpents and the poison ran through their veins and the pain, what were they called upon to do? Look, that simple, look. Somebody says, what if they're blind? If you're blind, you can look. And if you look, you'll see. Somebody says, I do not see. You've not looked. All who look, see. Looking unto Jesus, they weren't told to, to try to uh, get rid of the snakes. They weren't told to try to build things to keep them out. They weren't given some kind of antidote to pull the poison out. They were told to look. That's it. Look. Looking unto Jesus. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whosoever believeth. That tells me that looking and believing is the same thing. Look. Look. Looking unto Jesus. We're to look to him and not at other people. Why well, get so discouraged the way other believers conduct themselves? Quit looking at them. Stop it. We're to look to him and not ourselves. Wouldn't it be a blessing if you could just forget about yourself right now and look to him? Wouldn't that be a blessing to me? If we could just forget everything about ourselves and turn our eyes upon him. We're to look to him and not our faith. Does that make sense? We're to look to him and not our faith. We're to look to him and not our life or our walk. Looking unto Jesus. We are to look to him and 
not look to our experience. You know, I've experienced a lot over the last 40-some years. Throw it all overboard and look to him. I'm not to try to find assurance of salvation from something I felt way back when, when this happened or that happened. We are to look to him and not our feelings. Feelings come, feelings go. Feelings are deceiving. My warrant is the word of God, not else is worth believing. We're to look to him and not our intentions. Well, I'm going to make things better. I'm I'm going to. Don't do it. Looking unto Jesus. We're to look to him now. Not waiting for something. We're to look to him alone. Nothing more. Nothing less. Look to him now. Don't wait for something to happen. Don't, Don't wait till you have the proper feelings. Don't wait till your life is right and you're ready to do it. Not till you've learned more. Look right now. Looking unto Jesus. Nothing more. Nothing less. Nothing else. Looking unto Jesus. Christ alone plus nothing, minus nothing. We look to Christ alone always. Now listen to this. We are to look to him and not the work of the Holy Spirit in us. You see, the work of the Holy Spirit in us causes us to look to him only. We love God the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Blessed Trinity, when he's working on you, you look to Christ only. That is the evidence of his work. Looking unto Jesus. We begin looking unto Jesus. We carry on looking unto Jesus. And by the grace of God, may our last second of life be looking unto Jesus. Isn't that the way you want to die? By the grace of God. Looking to him only. Now, the writer to the Hebrews tells us exactly what we're to look to him for. Now, look at this verse again. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of, and notice that word our is in italics. It was placed there by the translators. And I think, if anything, it confounds the meaning. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of faith. Of faith. If you can't look to Christ in faith, look to Christ for faith. He's the author of it. He's the object of it. He's the subject of it. He's the giver of it. He's the originator of it. He is the increaser of it. (laughs) I love when the disciples said, Lord, increase our faith. Who'd they ask to do that? The Lord. Looking unto Jesus. As the author of faith. I love when the Lord said, you believe in God, believe also in me. Do you believe God is all-powerful? Me as well. 
Do you believe God gives faith? I do. I'm God. Do you believe that... I think of what the Lord said to the woman at the way. He said, woman, believe me. I love those words. Woman, believe me. He said, I am. When Martha said, I know my brother will rise on the last day. He said, Martha, I am the resurrection. It's not an event. I'm it. I am the life. He that liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? We believe his ability. Listen to this scripture. Paul said, I know whom I have believed. And I am persuaded. And the reason I'm persuaded is he persuaded me. If he persuades you, you'll be persuaded. If you're not persuaded, he hadn't persuaded you. But if you're persuaded, he persuaded you. I know whom I have believed and I'm persuaded I'm convinced that he is able. That's faith. He said to those blind men, do you believe that I am able to do this? That's faith. Believing his ability. Do you believe, think of the simplicity of this and the power of this. Do you believe he has the ability to save you without any help from you? That's what faith is. Believing his ability. I know whom I have believed. I'm persuaded he is able to keep that which I've committed to him. I've committed the entire salvation of my soul to him. If he doesn't do it all, I won't be saved. And that's the commitment I've made. That's the commitment every believer makes. We commit the entire salvation of our soul to him. Looking unto Jesus the author of our faith. Not only do we look to him as the author of our faith, we look to him as the finisher of our faith. I'm going to persevere looking to Christ only. And I'm going to finish looking to Christ only. And it's because he is the finisher of my faith. He is the perfecter of my faith. He will cause me to die in the faith. Now remember what I said, we start at the finish line. Well, here it is, it's finished. Isn't that where we start? It's finished, not due. It's finished. That's the starting line. And when we're running the way we ought to be running, you know what? We're still on the starting line. And we continue on the starting line. And we finish on the starting line. It is finished. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. We look to him only as the author and the finisher of faith. We're saved by his faith. We're saved by his faith. I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me in the life that I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God. I trust his faith. I trust his faithfulness. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. 
We believe in Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law there shall no flesh living be justified. Faith is faith not in our faith but in his faith. Do you trust his faith? Do you trust his faithfulness? And look again in verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the Son of God. Don't you love his name, Jesus? I love his name. I love to say his name. I love to hear his name. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. What a name. I love his name. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And look at this next phrase. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Looking unto Jesus, who for the joy, now don't miss this, who for the joy that was set before him. You know, he said, my meat and drink is to do the will of him who sent me. Oh, the joy he had of glorifying his father, the joy he had in communion with his father. I love to think of the communion between the father and the son. The Lord The father looked on his son and said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Yes, he was pleased with him, but in whom? And everybody in him. The joy that was set before him. What was the joy set before him? Well, number one was to glorify his father. When he came to this earth, he came on a mission. It was to glorify to completely glorify his Father. That's why he went to the cross. Every attribute of God was glorified in Christ willingly submitting to being nailed to that cross. Oh, he he said, I've glorified thee on the earth. I've finished the work thou gavest me to do. Now, what did he do? He came to glorify his Father. Did he? You know he did. You know he completely glorified his father. He honored, oh, the joy of obeying his father. Even the, 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 the torment that he had to go through. How he enjoyed obeying his father, no matter what it did to him. That's, that was his joy. The joy that was set before him. Listen to this. The joy of saving his people. When Jesus Christ went to the cross, he went not generically, hoping somebody would end up believing. He went to the cross with the names of the elect on his hands, on his feet, just like the high priest with the 12 tribes of the children of Israel on their breast, his shoulder. Now, I, I, I love thinking of him dying for the elect. And I can't stand anything that even uh, implies that he died for people who will end up in hell anyway. That's blasphemous. He died for the elect. He accomplished their salvation. But listen to this. He died for me. 
I stand amazed. We sang that song. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me. A sinner, condemned, unclean. He took my sins and my sorrows. He made them his very own. He bore the burden to Calvary and suffered and died alone. Now that was the joy set before him. Oh, he did what he did willingly. And I, you think of his, the, the life he lived, the man of sorrows and acquainted with grief while he was here on the earth. But he had a joy set before him. The joy of glorifying his father and the joy of saving his elect. The joy of saving me that he had my name on his heart. And I want you to think about this. If you're a child of God, do you know heaven would not be heaven to him without you being there? That is the power of his cross. He said, this is the will of him that sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but raise it up again at the last day. The joy that was set before him of glorifying his father, saving his people. What did he do? Because of the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. And this is something me and you are never going to understand. What all was going on on the cross, I realize that. You know, the Lord made darkness to cover the earth to let us know that this is a transaction between the Father and Son. And you and I will never really understand what was going on. But on the cross, he was made sin. I would be afraid to go any further than that. What does that mean? I don't know, nor does anyone else, but I know he was made sin. And here's what explains that to me. Despising the shame. This gives us some inkling as to what was going on. Despising the shame. Now, if you knew what has gone on in my heart in the last 24 hours, I couldn't look you in the eye. I'd be ashamed. I'd be so ashamed of myself. And if somebody uh, says, well, I, I don't feel that way, well, that's because you're so hard-hearted then. Because if you have any honesty whatsoever, you feel shame. And you wouldn't want someone to see the shame, the, your sin that would cause you to be so ashamed. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ never sinned. Even when he was made sin, he never sinned. But he felt all of the shame before God of my sin because it became his sin. And who for the joy that was said before him, he endured the cross. He was nailed to a cross. The Son of God had nails driven through his hands and feet. The spear that pierced his side. Forsaken by God. Left to himself. Feeling the shame and the sorrow of my sin. You see, the Lord killed him because he's guilty. The Lord didn't kill him because he's innocent. Lord killed him because he's guilty. He took my sin and it became his sin.
But the, for the joy that was said before him, that shame, he, I'll go through it for the joy I'm getting out of this. Despising the shame, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Set down. There's so much significance to this. You know, I'm sure, that in the tabernacle there was no chair. Why were there no chairs? Because the priest's work were never, was never done. There was always something left to do. And once he got finished, he had to start the same process over and over again. Thousands and thousands and thousands of sacrifices. The work was never done. You know why? Because there was never any satisfaction in the blood of an animal. God never was satisfied with the blood of an animal. But when the Lord Jesus Christ died, turn with me to Hebrews 1. Hebrews 1. And don't forget this set down. Verse 1, God. What a way to start this book. God. He makes no attempt to prove God. God. Who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets hath in these last days. Now I, I, I love that phrase, the last days. We're in the last days. Every day since the day our Lord went to back to ascended back to heaven, it's the last days. Uh, as far as when is he going to come, I don't know. I hope he comes tonight, don't you? I hope he comes soon. Uh, he said, I come quickly. Behold, I come quickly. And that makes us very happy to think of him coming. And he's going to come for us even, even if, if he comes for us in death, it's soon. And we're in the last days. Been in the last days for 2,000 years, but hopefully we're in the last of the last days. You know, when people make predictions about, you know, given dates for the, uh, second coming of Christ, Lord said, I don't even know the date. Somebody says, how can that be? I don't know. He's God, he's man, and he said, I don't know. No man knows but my father. Well, I'm fine with that. Whatever the Lord says is just right, isn't it? But we're in the last days. He's going to, when he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found, dressed, in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. These last days. Now he had in times past spoken by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken to us by, I, I like the way his is in italics, by son. By son. The son of God. Whom he hath appointed heir of all things. Do you know everything belongs to Jesus Christ? Do you know the air you just breathed is his air? You're sitting on his property. You're in his world. He's heir of everything. 
Now, not only is he heir of all things, by whom also he made the world. This, this one is the creator. He's the one who created the universe. He's the one who said, let us make man in our own image and in our own likeness. That was Jesus Christ saying that. He's the creator. Verse 3, who being the brightness of glory. His glory? Well, I like it better this way. Who being the brightness of glory. And the express image of his person. What a description of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the divine imprint. All we'll ever see of God is Jesus Christ. He's the express image of God's person. And upholding all things by the word of his power. Now, you know what that means? Everything he is in control of. Providence is everything that takes place. It's not, well, that was providential. No, it's all providential. Good, bad, it's all his providence. He upholds all things by the word of his power. Right now, the reason you're breathing is because he's willing it. The reason your heart's still pumping is because he's willing it. Right now, you know, we talk about un, we're not conscious of these things. He is. And we're in his sovereign hands. He can do with me and you whatever he's pleased to do. You know, when people say things like, make Jesus the Lord of your life, you can't make him the Lord of your life. He is the Lord of your life. Whether you like it or not, I like it. I want it to be that way. But he's the Lord of the dead and the living according to the scripture. He's Lord. Now look what it says next in verse 3. When he had by himself purged our sins. How did he do it? By himself. He didn't have any angels helping him. He didn't have his father helping him. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And why are you so far from, my, uh, from hearing me in the words of my roaring? Why are you so far from helping me in the words of my roaring? He did this by himself. He certainly didn't have any help from you or me. He did this by himself. When he had by himself purged our sins. Purged. Who's our? He purged our sins. Let me, that's the elect. That's everybody whose sins were purged. When he had by himself purged our sins. Now this, this word purging, you, how can are you filthy and do you need to be purged? That's what I'm asking you. Are you filthy and need purging? That's the people he purged. When he had by himself purged our sins, what did he do? He sat down. Because he did what he purposed to do. 
The sins were purged. They were made not to be. They're gone. They're no more. When he had by himself purged our sins, he sat down. Why? The work was finished. What does that mean to me? Forget doing. It's done. It's done. It's finished. That's why I sat down. It is finished. He sat down. The father was satisfied with what he did. The law is satisfied with what he did. He sat down. Turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Verse 11. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool for by one Offering, he hath what? Perfected forever. This doesn't need to be repeated. It's accomplished. Them that are sanctified, those he sanctified in eternal election, those he sanctified by his blood, those he sanctified by the Spirit in giving them spiritual life. He sat down. Now back to Hebrews 12. Let's close up. Looking unto Jesus. Will the Lord give me the grace and you the grace to do that right now? To look away from yourself. To look away from other people. To look to him. Only. Looking unto Jesus. The author and finisher of faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. We are to look to him as the sitting Savior, not pacing back and forth, worried his will's not being done, sitting in absolute splendor and control. Sitting. And we're to look to him in this sense. In him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. That's the one we're looking at. And you are complete. Nothing lacking. You can't get any more saved than you are right now. You can't get any more accepted. You can't get any more loved by God. You are complete. In him. What a glorious Savior. Let's pray. Lord, we ask in the high and holy name of your glorious Son that we might be enabled like the snake bitten children of Israel 
to look to the brazen serpent, the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross, and know that in looking, we're made whole through what he accomplished. Lord, deliver us from our own understanding, deliver us from our own thoughts, enable us to look to thy dear son. In his name we pray, amen.